0: He lifts one to a left field. It is deep. It is high, and it is gone. A walk-off home run. For Joe Gray Jr. Good morning. It is a windy cold morning here in Colorado Springs as I record today's episode and of course this is the Graham Slam podcast episode 30. I'm your host Brandon Anderson and it is the big dirty 30 or whatever they call it. I'm uh, not really but you know what I mean. We are just three weeks away, or over three weeks away, from the USFL kickoff, and just hours ago, when recording this podcast today, March 23rd, 2022, the USFL has officially announced their rulebook, and does it ever look familiar? I'll go over that here shortly, along with an update uh, to the USFL lawsuit, and then, of course, in today's entertainment segment, i went and saw this past week the new slasher film from a24 studios um x is the title very interesting movie i wouldn't say it's uh necessarily something i'd watch 500 times like some of the other slasher slash horror movies i've watched but it was good and the cast was very great in it um I also saw from uh, the previews prior to it, A24 Studios is bringing out quite a bit of interesting movies over the uh, this year that I'll talk about as well. Get into those previews. That'll be on the entertainment segment. And then today's main topic is my WrestleMania 21 travel story, which was officially my first solo traveling, traveling story across the western part of the United States. From Color Springs to Los Angeles, California. This was while I was still in high school even. And that was not only for WrestleMania, but of course the WWE Hall of Fame where the immortal Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Rowdy Piper were inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. What a night that was and what a night WrestleMania 21 was, which was the following year um, from when I went to WrestleMania 20 in New York City. And then, of course, to cap off today's episode, I have some housekeeping announcements basically coming up of what is coming soon from the Grand Slam podcast. Now, I talked about it in my little rant of burnouts and things I want to do, but I will have an official kind of lineup. We will have Jock from the Boundless Gamers podcast co-hosting the Gram Slam podcast and talking about our pro wrestling travel stories that we experienced together, which were a few of them actually. And then, of course, I want to go over what is premiering next month, what my ideas are for it, the new Gram Slam vlog which will be airing on YouTube starting the week of April 16th when I am going to the USFL kickoff in Birmingham, Alabama. So that'll be a little bit of a the vlog will be a little bit of a, a sports travel series kind of um and uh have the AEW Double or Nothing pay-per-view from Las Vegas, Nevada over Memorial Day weekend. There is a lot coming. This podcast, the vlog, and before we know it, we are two months away, I think actually today, two months away from the first pitch of the Rocky Mountain Vibes. As you know, the Gram Slam podcast will be covering the Rocky Mountain Vibes season, And, of course, we'll be doing a vlog for the season this year. It is exciting times, and I'll wrap all that up on the end of today's episode. But let's go ahead and let's get into the breaking news this morning of the USFL officially dropping those rules. And, man, oh, man, am I one excited football fan. I just am almost speechless because... I know we are getting so close to potentially very good spring football that, at least with the rule book, is what we saw in 2020 with the XFL. Do, do we, does it mean we're going to get good football, good crisp football from the XFL or from the USFL that the XFL was presenting? I, I don't know, but there's there's a few players from the XFL that... Know that XFL rulebook, like Jordan Tamu, who is the Tampa Bay Bandits quarterback. So I'm curious to see how that all plays out. Um, but they are basically looking at the rules they are taking from the AAF Football League, the um, XFL 2020, and then, of course, some college football uh, rules and implementing them into this league. Uh, the XFL 2020 rules made the game exciting, and this is a perfect way to bring football to a modern level of play, as the USFL is um, explaining. And it shows what I've been talking about all along for the XFL is basically it's going to change the game. It has already. This is proof I mean, we first have the NFL signing the partnership. We still don't know a hundred percent what those details are, but we know it is for rules and innovation into football that the NFL may use at one point. Well, guess what? We have a league, the USFL, who is returning in less or just about three and a half weeks, and they have adapted or adopted. Some XFL rules already. And I mean a uh, primarily of them and the overtime rule that I talked about. The overtime rule. A format of it. The USFL is doing it doing it. A shootout. I was just having a conversation with my uncle last night on this. Because and showing him what the overtime rules were for the XFLs. He he wasn't really aware of it or remember it per se from twenty twenty. Um, as we never officially did get to see a overtime game and those rules implemented, but the USFL they have a chance to potentially go to a overtime game, and I'll tell you this: if there is any indication with my luck and my daughter's luck with uh, some rules uh, changing, let's go back to. The Rocky Mountain Vibes, the Pioneer League for the 2021 season that implemented the knockout round for the Pioneer League for baseball instead of extra innings and made it a shootout, a.k.a. Home Run Derby, um, even though they couldn't name it that because of MLB's copyrights. But we saw it in that first series of the Rocky Mountain Vibes home opener where... Uh Manny ended up winning the game with the knockout round, the home run derby or whatnot. Could we potentially see an overtime game in the first weekend? I for sure hope so because I am so excited for this this rule. I'll go over that here in a second. Um, but again, I've already been reading tweets on, on Twitter complaining that they stole from the XFL 2020 rules. Um, and that they were mainly created. Who was, or the creator of it was Sam, uh, Schwarzenstein I believe is how you uh, pronounce his last name. I, I'm probably really butchering his name there. But him and his team at the XFL created a lot of these rules. And I, I don't think we need to be complaining about stealing rules. And really take a step back and realize that this is what needs to happen. This proves, as I was just saying, this proves the XFL works. It proves other leagues, including now, of course, the NFL, um, is interested in their innovative rules that are changing the game for a modern presentation. But I will say right off the bat, I am so thrilled that this is happening. I, I just, I, I cannot imagine not being able to see a xfl type presentation in a different form for a different league and i'm pumped up i i was kind of skeptical on the usfl at first um but it grew on me and as time has gone on they've really started making great decisions that i really think could last into the future and we could hundred percent as like i was saying i was talking to my uncle last night and my aunt We could have spring, or football, year-round. There may be a couple weeks here and there that is off in, I think, July. But with preseason, we could literally have year-round football. This is amazing. Like, football is a sport. I know I created this podcast off baseball. But, again, the... Pioneer League or baseball, MLB, or any of that is not around year-round. It's a, I mean, MLB is around from March usually to, um, depending, until October. And then, of course, the Pioneer League is only around from the last week of May into September. Very short season. So, year-round football means more coverage and more episodes of the Grand Slam podcast that we can build this uh the sports cast, as I, I want to call it. Um, but it's going to make for a great presentation on the field because we already saw it in 2020 that it made a great one. If you haven't seen any of the 2020 XFL, go back and watch it. All the games are on YouTube and HD. They are great to rewatch. Uh, they are exciting. And it's just one of these things that I, I'm... I can re-watch these games. I can't really rewatch NFL games. I, I don't know what it is. I can't rewatch a baseball game. I can't watch an NBA game. Now, of course, if I don't know the results of the game, sometimes I can flip through it, but I'll never re-watch an actual game. But the XFL made it that way. I could watch those games all day, every day. Um, and I have over the last couple of years. I, I've kind of done tradition that every February... Into March, I'll watch the games um, when they essentially aired for that just reminder that we are getting XFL next year and we're getting spring football this year with USFL. Let's go ahead first and go to the official announcement made by the USFL courtesy of FoxSports.com. The article title is... The USFL rules three-point conversions, two forward passes, and much, much more. When the Birmingham Stallions take on the New Jersey Generals in the new United States Football League's inaugural kickoff game on Saturday, April 16th, they will be playing a brand of football fans know and love, but with a modern twist. On Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022, the USFL officially unveiled a few changes to the traditional football rules, designed to bolster offense or bolster offense and big play potential, improve game flow, give trailing teams more scoring opportunities as timelines down, enhance player safety, and get officiating calls right in a way that's fair for both teams. Fans are the USFL's top priority, so our rules are designed to give fans the traditional physical play they know and love, while adding some modern, fast-paced elements, said Mike Piera, USFL head of officiating. The overwhelming majority of rules that govern gameplay in the USFL are standard at the professional and college level, but we are incorporating a few un. Conventional ideas that we're convinced will add offense, alter some coaching decisions and strategy for the better, and make it easier to get major penalty calls correct. Collectively, these changes will be good for the game of football and keep fans more engaged and entertained. The biggest rule changes pertain to extra point conversions after touchdown, onside kicks, over time and passing plays, but they are not the only modifications. Here's what you need to know about the USFL's rules. So that is the official statement, per se, by uh, USFL head of officiating fishing, Mike Piera, and the Fox Sports article. We will go ahead and start breaking down these rules, and I will kind of give some commentary in between these, and then also... Uh, there's some videos attached to the rules that kind of explain them a little more. I will be playing those and then kind of talking about the comparison to the XFL in 2020 and how that works. So the first uh, rule we look at is the extra points. When teams score a touchdown in the USFL, they'll have the option to attempt a 1, 2, or even 3-point conversion. Teams will receive one point for a kick made with the ball snap from the 15-yard line, two points for a scrimmage play from the 2-yard line that successfully crosses the goal line, or three points for a scrimmage play from the 10-yard line that successfully crosses the goal line. As a result, a team trailing by 9 points can still tie the game with a touchdown and a 3-point conversion, well, an 18-point lead is still a two-possession game. When we compare this rule to the XFL in 2020, um, after a touchdown, this is from the xfl.com rules, after a touchdown, the team has the option of running a play from the 2, 5, or 10-yard line worth 1, 2, or 3 points respectively. The team must run an offensive play and no kicking plays are allowed. Um, If the defense is able to cause a turnover and return the ball to the opponent's end zone, the resulting score is equal to the number of points the offense was attempting to score in its point after touchdown. Now, of course, this is different um, in the USFL. Of course, there is kicking, so you can kick your extra point um, from the 15-yard line. The two-point is from the 2-yard line, and the 3-point is from the 10-yard line. Um, So those are a little different. So the 2 points were at the 5, and then the 3, those are the same in both leagues. So a little bit of a difference there. I am not opposed to having the um, kick or the extra point from the kick. Not a big deal. I think that was something interesting. The XFL was... Able to do and made it easy to go for that one point, but it is what it is. Um, I, I am totally for this. I love this uh, aspect. I really wish the NFL would do something like this because it would make games a lot more entertaining instead of like some of these blowouts where it's like, oh, these teams are never coming back. Where In this scenario, the in the USFL, again, you could be down by two touchdowns, same with XFL, and essentially, an 18-point 18, 18 lead is still a two-possession game. So, mad, mad props to them on that. Let's go ahead and go to that video to really explain the extra points. And I'm going to try to do this through my speaker because these are not traditional um, YouTube videos where I can just copy the audio from So, let's see how this works out.
1: in the usfl when
0: you score a touchdown you've got
1: three options you can kick the one point extra point snapping it from the 15 yard line that'll get you one point or you can put the ball at the two run a scrimmage play and get two points but if you want to go for three they'll put the ball at the 10 you run a scrimmage play it's successful for a score you get three points which means if you're behind by nine after that touchdown, you could tie the game. And more importantly, a two-score game is an 18-point difference. This is the USFL.
0: Okay, so I believe that worked perfectly fine. So I I, do, I will make a quick comment. I love how they say this is the USFL. I'm pretty sure that was the XFL's like slogan. This is the XFL. Yeah, y'all stole that for sure. Not to complain. It's just kind of funny because that is totally XFL's like thing. But it's okay. Um, I I like this. Again, this is totally up my alley. I like the extra points. This gives more options for offenses and teams to come back and not just be completely blown out at some point. That is the plus side to that. And potentially get closer to a tie game to go to the overtime and we'll get to that rule here shortly next up on it is onside kicks i'm going to go ahead and play the audio first and then explain the rule a little more after that or break it down so let's go ahead and go to that now
1: in the usfl you have another option on top of the onside kick we're going to give you a scrimmage play fourth and 12 from the 33 yard line If you make a first down, you keep the ball. If you don't, you're going to give the ball back to the defense. And if you're sacked, they may get the ball all the way down at the 10-yard line. A lot of risk, but a lot of reward. This is the USFL.
0: Okay, so that rule there is on-site kicks. Now, traditionally in NFL or normal football, um, you basically have it where The team will kick an onside kick. Um, I believe in the NFL it's got to go 10 yards uh, for the kicking team to get the ball to have a chance to have another set of offensive uh, plays to either come back or win the game or whatever the case may be. So in the USFL, teams will have two opportunities to retain possession after scoring. The first option will be a traditional onside kick attempt from the 25-yard line. The second will be running a 4th-and-12 play from their own 33-yard line. If the team makes the first down, fantastic. It retains possession from that spot. If the team attempting the onside fails, however, the defense gets the ball wherever the offense is downed. And then, of course, as you heard in the video, if they basically, like they're saying, if a quarterback gets sacked, it could be all the way back at the 10-yard line. That That's significant for a risk. I think it'll be taken a lot in this league. Um, this rule is kind of like the AAF rule. Um, I don't believe the NA or the XFL had a rule like this. Um, I don't remember any on-site kick rules in the XFL that really were kind of put out there. I think the onside kick was just an onside kick. So this is more like, as I was saying, the AAF uh, American... All or What was the AF's stand for? It's been so long. It was 2019. But anyways, I, I spoke about the AAF on the original Spring Football League episode. Uh, but again, the... AF rule was the same thing where you get that, basically the the second fourth and twelve play. Um, fan control football actually had this. It's it was kind of, uh, kind of like a, a fifth down almost because this is what that is. If you were at, basically, uh, essentially you 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 score a touchdown. You want an extra play or an on kick. Fan-controlled football, which if you haven't seen that, is returning for a second season the same night as the kickoff of – or same day as kickoff for USFL um, on Twitch and I think NBC and one other provider or NBC Peacock, something like that, um, where you get this option to go for it. I think it's great. I think it will be used a lot. Uh, On-site kicks are okay, but they're never they're pretty hard to get. I, I've seen some teams get them like crazy and then some teams you can't even get them. So I think giving that extra offensive play um, after scoring points will help kind of bring the game forward to essentially give more opportunity for the team that is down to come back and potentially win. but again, as it talked about, it can backfire, and then that other team can essentially get the ball pretty close to their end zone, and kind of drag that score up even more than what it is. Next up is the big one. This is overtime. We've talked about it on this podcast on numerous occasions of how the XFL basically changed the game with it. We never got to see it. Um, no XFL game in 2020 went to overtime, unfortunately. Um, and then we've had some very controversial issues with the NFL uh, this past season with overtime and the fact people aren't getting um, possession of the ball or the other team isn't. The coin flip is basically uh, basically taking over, essentially, um, who wins the game based on the – especially in playoffs when you have these – Massive offensive teams, things like that. So let's, let's go to the rules for overtime. Here's the audio on that one.
1: In the USFL, overtime will be like you've never seen before. It's a best of three shootout. We'll line up at the two and alternate possessions between the teams. If we're still tied after three possessions, then it's sudden death until we have a winner. This is the USFL.
0: Okay, so how they broke that down is basically overtime will be a shootout. If you are a hockey fan, you understand what a shootout is. This needs to just be implemented everywhere in football. College has somewhat of a shootout style. It's not exactly to this, but the NFL has probably one of the worst overtime situations ever. The coin flip is 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 terrible. It, it's, it's growing to be a nuisance in the game over the last year um, or so um, just because of what we've seen. But the overtime rule in the USFL will be a shootout in which each team's offense will alternate plays against the opposing defense for from the two-yard line. Each team will run a total of three plays, and each successful scoring attempt will receive two points the team with the most points after each team has run its three plays wins. If the score is tied after each team runs three plays, um, the subsequent attempts become sudden death until a winner is declared. So basically what that means is if they're tied after that, a team will go up, they'll score. And then the next team, if they don't score the game's over or if they tie it again it'll just keep going until someone finally scores a touchdown or points however they're putting it and then the other team doesn't it's the same as hockey hockey has one player go up they shoot a puck um shoot out if the player makes it and then the opposing person doesn't after the i think it's 3 rounds as well then that'll happen now when we're comparing this the to XFL this is a little different, and people are trying to claim that the USFL stole this directly from the XFL is incorrect. It's a it's a different version of it. But in the XFL itself, you had overtime shell consist of five rounds, not three, uh, staged in alternating single play possessions, as is customary in NHL shootouts or MLS penalty kicks. A round will consist of one offensive play per team. Each possession starts at the opponent's five-yard line, and the offense team has one play to score. The team with the most points after five rounds is the winner. Um, If a team has been mathematically eliminated before the five rounds have been completed, the game ends immediately. If the teams are tied after five rounds, then rounds continue until one team is leading at the conclusion of a round, and that team will be the winner. So that essentially is, is the exact same as the USFL. It's just less rounds per se. So it's not taking exactly from NHL. It's not taking from MS, MLS penalty kicks, which is Major League Soccer. But it's, it's shortening that, which could help essentially um, if we get some of those. The XFL could adapt the shorter version of that and kind of go with that. But I think if we're looking at the XFL, I think they had something in place. I think they should stay with this. It would not be that bad of a thing because, again, the current NFL rule is the NFL has a 10-minute overtime period where each team must possess and have the opportunity to possess the ball unless the team that gets the ball first scores a touchdown a coin toss determines which team will possess the ball first in overtime. If neither team wins in overtime period, the game ends in a tie. Now, of course, that is regular season rules in playoffs, and the Super Bowl, it is basically a winner. It, it continues to go quarter after quarter until someone wins. So, yes, <laughs> clearly we need a change, and it, it's basically the rational rationality of it that the XFL put out there, which I assume is the same as the USFL's version, is the NFL overtime can end in a tie and the team's offense may never see the field. Overtime may also take up the twenty-seven minutes to compete complete in the NFL. XFL overtime allows both teams to play offense and in under 10 minutes and always have a winner. That's kind of what the USFL is doing as well. I don't know about the under 10 minute thing. Um, that'll be remained to see if that actually happens, but it's something new and I think it'll work. Uh, it, it, it There's no reason it wouldn't. Um, the next one is a rule directly out of the XFL's playbook. And I love this rule. This was the coolest rule out of the XFL 2020 that we saw. It took a few games to see it, but once we saw it in action, it worked very well. Let's go to the audio for this one. It is two forward passes.
1: USF U.S. offenses will have more options than ever. Why? Because they can throw two forward passes behind the line of scrimmage. This will open up the playbook like never before. Imagine quarterback throwing the ball forward to a wide receiver, and then the wide receiver throwing the ball... Forward, back to the quarterback, who advances for a touchdown. Imagine the possibilities. This is the USFL.
0: Now again, in this rule, they're kind of claiming that this has never been done. Uh, it has. It clearly has. It worked. It was the XFL. It's pretty cool. And I'll, I'll tell you straight up, there is times after watching the XFL in 2020, when we got finally got the, the NFL season in 2020 um, with the pandemic and stuff, that it was hard not thinking, like, oh, a double pat. Oh, wait, that's not legal in the NFL. So this is great. Offenses will be allowed, the rule states, offenses will be allowed to throw two forward passes behind the line of scrimmage, expanding teams' playbooks while adding even more excitement and trick play potential to games. This is basically exactly, I'm pretty sure, what the XFL rulebook states. Let's go to the XFL rulebook here, and we are... Where is this rule? It's somewhere shorter. Um, Hmm. I'm not going to edit this part out because I think this is essentially pretty big, but I don't know where... Oh, how do they not have this? Like... Right away, because I remember this was a oh double forward pass. So, yeah, if a team completes a forward pass behind the line of scrimmage, that team may throw a second forward pass as long as the ball is not, has at no time crossed the line of scrimmage. Once the ball has passed the line of scrimmage, no forward passes are permitted. This is basically, again, the same thing that the XFL did in 2020. Um, obviously, we know with college and NFL – only one forward pass per play. I would love to see this go into effect. I don't think college needs it necessarily, but I'd love to see it go into effect for NFL. This is a great rule. This would make so many plays in the NFL just insane to me and the opportunities. Because could you imagine, being a Tennessee Titan fan, you have, as as the USFL's video stays. you have... Derek Henry go out. Tannehill passes to him. He's still behind the line and then he throws a pass to AJ Brown in the end zone. Now of course we have it where you can hand the ball off or like lateral it back and then the or wildcat, however you want to put it, and you can have the running back throw a pass. In this option, you could have anybody throw a pass. Wide receiver, you name it. As long as you're behind that scrimmage or line of scrimmage, you can play two you can throw it twice. So the quarterback hypothetically can throw a pass and then that pass can be thrown to another player. Um yeah, this uh, this works. I like this rule. This rule is cool. It took a while for the XFL to actually do it. I think it didn't appear until week late week 2 or week 3, but when it happened, it was so cool um it, it does remind me a lot of some of the trick plays the Philly special those type of plays in the NFL that could use a different element to it so I do I, I really do like that rule um the next one so these are just other rules that they've put in place um there's no video or audio to them uh, but other rule changes Instant replay. Each coach will be allowed one replay challenge. Replay command at Fox Sports Control Center in Los Angeles will make all replay decisions, meaning that one replay crew will make all the decisions. This ensures accurate, consistent, and faster rulings. The USFL re- replay command will have the authority to overrule incorrect personal foul calls, including roughing the passer, hits on defenseless players. Face mask penalties, horse collars, and more. USFL Replay Command will also be responsible for determining whether the act of a pass interference is um, obvious, obviously intentional when it occurs 15 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. See below. So what it states is defensive pass interference. The penalty for defense defensive. Pass interference will mirror the NCAA rule with exceptions. Defensive pass interference will be a spot foul if it occurs less than 15 yards from the line of scrimmage, but if it is a 15 yard penalty, but it is a 15 yard penalty if the spot of the foul is beyond 15 yards. The goal is to decrease the uh, punitive nature of defensive pass interference penalties. However, A defender intentionally tackling a receiver beyond 15 yards past line of scrimmage would be a spot foul. Um, Offensive pass interference, if the pass does not cross the line of scrimmage, there can be no penalty for either offensive pass interference or ineligible player downfield. This rule change opens up the offense without undermining defense and forgoes punishment for infractions unrelated to the play. Yeah, so the these are the rules, the main rules they have put out. Um, I, I don't think there's much else that they're going to release. At least these are your innovative rules. Um, I don't believe, from my knowledge, that we really need anything else. Now, the only one that they did not explain in this article, which I'm actually surprised, is is how kickoffs and punts will look this season. From my knowledge and what I'm reading, it's the same as the XFL. Um, the All kickoffs will be from the 25-yard line. No kicking team member may line up any further back than one yard, while the receiving team must have a minimum of eight players in the setup zone between their 35- and 45-yard lines. After a kickoff travels 20 yards... The first touch must be by the receiving team. If an untouched kick becomes dead, the ball belongs to the receiving team at that spot. Punts. Gunners may not line up outside the numbers, and they cannot be double teamed blocked until the ball is kicked. This is very similar to the XFL. Um, I am not 100% sure, because I know in the XFL, with kickoffs, you could not move essentially, um, until the receiver got the ball. Now, that doesn't state anything in these USF rules that that's happening. Um, If you haven't seen a clip of how the XFL's kickoff was, I would highly recommend YouTubing it because it it is different, but it worked. And it's so much safer. It still allows for kickoff returns. And it just, it it looks weird at first, but then you get used to it. I thought it was very weird actually watching the XFL in 2020 with all their different rules and then going back and the following year, um, once the NFL started playing, of adapting to not seeing the same stuff. Like, kickoffs were are different in the NFL, so in punts and stuff like that, so... It takes time to get used to, and I think this is going to be even harder when you have two leagues, USFL and XFL, doing this. And the NFL is completely different rules. It's going to be a little bit of a getting used to, um, especially with the USFL. Um, Like I said, I I really do hope they last the full season, um, and this isn't another spring league story. um, But... If it does, yeah. I mean, the NFL starts a month after, month and a half after the uh, USFL uh, championship game. So, and I think preseason for NFL is God, maybe like three or four weeks after the USFL ends. So it's gonna be interesting to see. But those essentially are the rules. Um, they are great in my opinion. I I love the XFL rules, and this just adapts a lot of them um, into the USFL. So yeah, this this gets me even more pumped for the USFL, and to get to be there for all four games and have that opportunity to potentially go to an overtime game that weekend, it, it very much excites me. So I hope my luck with my daughter runs through the realm of things that it did in the Pioneer League where we were hoping for uh extra or basically a tie game at the end and sure enough we got it on opening weekend of the Rocky Mountain Vibes uh 2021 season. So hopefully this is the same thing. It would be great if it was in the Michigan Panthers game, but I I feel the Michigan Panthers are going to blow out their opponent that uh Sunday morning on Easter. So let's go ahead um Let's dive in. We've talked about the rules. We've compared them to the XFL. Um, That was uh, the main essential announcement that came from the USFL today. I don't know if we'll see any others. I think mainly the rest of the rule book is pretty standard football. So I don't think we'll see much unless there is something that kind of changes Uh, But to kind of give you also an update on the USFL lawsuit um, that I was talking about last week's episode where the original owners of the USFL uh, took the new ones to court in California. That case has officially been delayed until April uh, 18th, which is the Monday after opening weekend. I don't know what the reasoning was. From my understanding, the California upper courts, I think it's Supreme Courts in California that are handling this case, I believe, um, they have delayed it. There is a lot of more cases that are going forward in the court system that essentially are taking precedence over this lawsuit, which thankfully, um, I booked my. Uh, airline tickets and hotel this past week. I may have did that before last week's episode. I'm not quite sure but everything's booked. We're good to go for travel and now we know that there is not a court that is going to stop the, the opening weekend of USFL. So we will have that weekend and then we'll see that Monday what happens. I would almost say this may get pushed back again and if the judge wants to be, like, really kind of just, like, not wanting to hear the case up front really right now, they may push this case this case out past the season, which would then open up the doors for the USFL to have a full season and then deal with this lawsuit afterwards. I still don't think anything's going to come from this. Um, I, I still think that the... Uh, new USFL, a.k.a. Fox, will have to probably pay some dividends to it. Or some like money, essentially, for whatever they're asking for. Um, and that's probably it. Or this case is going to get dropped. Because it, there's a lot of details coming out that when the original USFL sued Fox, they actually sued the wrong Fox. They didn't sue Fox Sports or Fox, the the brand, the television uh, company or whatnot. They sued someone else. So that just shows how idiotic, and I don't know if it's the lawyer they hired or who they have. I'm not a legal expert. I don't ever claim to be one, and I have not talked to one. I've listened to some podcasts for uh, the USFL and XFL that have talked about this, and it just sounds like this is a big joke. and There's been misnamed spelling of like star athletes that played in the original, uh, NFL or USFL that and NFL, um, that were named in a lawsuit of being these top players. They spelled their names wrong. They had their ages wrong. There's all type of stuff that did not make much sense at all. Um, but that's okay. It is what it is. We get opening weekend. We'll see what the judge says on April 18th. That will essentially be part of my recap of week one. Um, I probably will add some tidbits in there once we find out from the courts if it's delayed or if uh, there is something that happens. I, unfortunately, there is the, the issue that a judge could halt operations of the USFL um, with the name and usage of the team's. That would be the most craziest spring football league story ever is if week one comes, they play under the USFL names, and then week two, they've got to change to other names and somehow get different jerseys, logos. I don't even know how they would do that. I think that would be a blunder that would essentially potentially risk losing the game, but it seems like... The The lawsuit itself that the USFL has all these people hired, they have players, they uh, reported the training camp yesterday. There's a lot that is on the line with people's, like, livelihood and jobs that I would be shocked if a judge would grant just closure or stoppage and then Fox is kind of, like, screwed at that point. I, I don't feel a judge or a lawsuit would do that um, especially with how much evidence and what they're suing for just doesn't make much sense so we'll see Um, I I, again am just looking for just over about three and a half weeks of football returning it would be great to see something and hopefully the cheer on the Michigan Panthers me and my daughter have picked them as our teams I think my uh, wife is going for the New Orleans breakers, but yeah, that's the USFL in a blunder with all the rules. This has already been 45 minutes of talking about this. That's okay. This is going to be a longer episode, I think, in the long run, but that's that's perfectly fine. I think it, it almost needs to be. Um, there is a lot to talk about. The USFL, definitely, coverage will be on this podcast as we go into, obviously, the Rocky Mountain Vibe season as well. Um, a lot of content coming up for everything. So let's go ahead and just dive into the entertainment segment and talk about the new movie X, which is, I call, a slasher film. I don't think it's a horror fi- horror movie by all means. It could be classified, I guess, as that, but I don't think you could really say this. Now, just to let everyone know... There is spoiler warning. I don't really care about spoilers on this movie. This movie is kind of a low-budget film. It's not as popular as, of course, Batman or any of those other movies that have come out are, like Spider-Man that I've talked about in the past. So this movie will contain spoilers. If you have not seen it, you don't want spoiled. You don't want to know what happens in this movie. I recommend uh, clicking the timestamp in the description of the episode and skipping forward uh, to the uh, main story today with my travel stories. But this is a warning. This is your five second warning. There will be spoilers for this movie entitled X by Studio A24 that dropped this past week in theaters. Let's go ahead and get into that. So. Movie X, it is a uh, movie that was produced by A24 Studios. The movie itself is directed by, I believe it's Ty West. And stars some actual, like, known actresses and actors. You have Jenna Ortega, Brittany Snow, Kid Cudi, um, who is a musician... Uh, Mia Goth, uh, Martin Henderson, Owen Campbell, uh, Stephen Yuri, James Galen, uh, Simon Prest, uh, Jeff Dolan, and Matthew J. Sullivan and Byron Skilling Skillington. So there's not many much stat or much cast in this movie. I think a total of. Let's see here, 12 people are in the movie altogether, Um, which shows you kind of necessarily how low-budget this movie kind of is. But the storyline of it is in 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas. Uh, But when they are reclusive, uh, when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast finds themselves fighting for their lives. So it's your typical, like, slasher film type thing. And basically, the movie starts out where uh, we see, basically, um, what is coming. Uh, It's the police arriving at this farm. They're stepping into one of the most horrific crime scenes they've ever seen. There's bodies everywhere. There's blood everywhere. And even the sheriff that shows up, um, who is uh, Sheriff Dent, Dentler, who is played by James Galen, um, he is walking around with uh, another deputy and um, an officer, and they are looking through this house, and they are just like massively stunned of what they are seeing and the, the bloodbath that they are seeing, along with uh, gunshot victims, things like that. And then at that point, we rewind to, uh, I think it was 24 hours earlier, and we basically see a group of kids traveling, or teenagers, I I believe they are, maybe a little more adults, um, traveling in a van, um, talking about this movie they're producing, uh, going over a script, and of course, they're making an adult movie, um, something that... They're saying is never been done to this quality. They are putting a spin on pornography that has never been done. And they stop at a gas station to get snacks and stuff, uh, for where they are staying at this, uh, rural farm, um, that they've, uh, found, I believe through a newspaper article, um, and talk to the owner over the, um, phone to rent the place out for the night, um, despite the fact the owners have no idea what they're doing. Um, they get gas. They start filming a little bit of clips at the gas station, um, getting gas about their uh, making kind of like a, an adult joke about getting gas and having the the gas uh, handle in the truck or whatnot acting like they are having sex, you know. Um, so they do that. They get their food, they get back in the vehicle they're talking about, but they arrive at the farm. When they arrive at the farm, they um, talk to the older guy, um, or they go to the door. The the main character um, goes to the door, uh, who is uh, Wayne, and he's like the, the person wanting to make this movie or whatnot. And he goes to the door... No one answers and then he finally, this very older gentleman comes out and, and he grabs a gun and he points at him and he's like, get off my property, what are, what the hell are you doing here? And goes off at him and he's like, hey, I, t- I contacted you the other day, he's kind of hard of hearing, the older guy, and he's like, I contacted you the other day about this uh, staying here and the dude's like, what are you talking about, I have no idea what you're talking about, get off my property, I'm going to kill you. And you can see from then a shot in a the van, they're like reading a script or reading a uh, Playboy magazine that they picked up at the uh, gas station and that they're reading. And they, they notice a, the old guy come out on his porch with a, a shotgun um, aimed at the guy's face. And they're all freaking out. And then, of course, the guy's like, oh, you're that uh, the, the guy that called? Oh, okay. A bunch of... Uh, you're looking at a place to stay for the the night, right? And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I am." And he's like, "Okay, okay." So he says it's a misunderstanding. He gets him. Um, he walks him down to a cabin that's on the farm property that they'll be staying at. I think it had like three or four rooms in it. And when he gets in, he's talking to him, and he starts like s- the older dude starts staring at one of the the um uh, the girls. And I believe it is Maxine um, who is played by Mia Goth is in like a um, overalls and like a tight shirt and whatnot. And he's like looking at her and of course, Wayne, who is uh, Maxine's boyfriend, I I guess in the movie is like, what are you looking at? You want a piece of that type and talk and she's all getting disgusted and, Finally, he leaves, and they're like, oh, what a weird guy, um, and then at that point, uh, they're like, oh, we need to, let's start getting ready, and let's start filming the movie. Kid Cuddy is the, uh, Jackson, he plays Jackson in the movie, who is a, I believe a, he either is current military, he's a Navy veteran, maybe, I don't know if he is current or um, out of the military, but he has his dog tags or whatnot. He is the main character that is basically making this pornography that they're making or porn movie. Um, and, of course, sex scenes are are basically being recorded at that point. And Maxine, who kind of almost is like one of the main characters in the movie... Um, she was a, I believe, a stripper at a strip club in the first part of the movie where they um, open up before they leave to the gas station or whatnot and get on the road. Um, she goes and takes a, a basically a walk um, and goes to, finds a pier that has a lake, kind of a small little pond slash lake. And she strips down, um, basically gets in the water and is swimming. Well... Come and find out as she's swimming, uh, The there's obviously a, an alligator. They're in Texas. There's an alligator in this pond, and it's coming towards her. She finally swims out and gets out of the water right in time before the alligator grabs her. But then this, uh, this older lady is standing there, and she's like, what the heck? What are you doing? And the lady's just, like, mumbling stuff, and... Starts going back to the house. Well, she follows her or whatnot. And the older lady invites her in for some lemonade. And she's drinking lemonade. And this older woman basically is like, she's in her probably like 80s or 90s. Comes on to this young girl and is like basically remembering herself in in this girl essentially. Like seeing herself as a young person. We get some flashbacks of her being a young dancer and there's music playing and she wants to dance with this girl. And she like, basically, as I've said, she was in overalls. Uh, Maxine was in overalls. And by this time she is just in overalls. There's nothing under it. You can see a little bit of her boobs on the side or whatnot. And this old lady goes to like touch her. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? Don't do that. And she's like, this is going to be our, Little secret, don't tell anyone. And then her husband gets back, which appears he left at some point in his truck. He gets back, and uh, the old lady's like, "Oh, you need to get out of here! Get out of here!" And she escapes to the side and gets out and goes back to the cabin and is all kinds of like just freaked out by what just happened. She's like, "What is going on?" So they get back. She gets back to the cabin, and between. In between, they cut back and forth in between scenes where they're still filming this uh, pornography. And when she gets back, um, her boyfriend's like, where the heck have you been? What are you doing? And she kind of explains the older lady is like very weird. And they're like, okay, well, we need to film the next scene, which was in the barn. Um, They snuck into the barn that was on the property to film another scene of this movie. And during this The older lady who, the old man, the guy claimed his wife has, like, dementia, and she's, like, she basically will walk away. She is, like, walking on the outside of the barn and looks in one of the windows and sees them filming and is, like, just, like, what the hell type scenario. So then she goes back in, uh, and I don't believe she says anything to her husband at that point, but... Um, they essentially go back into the where they're staying after that scene was filmed, and they're talking about, it's like evening time at that point, and they're talking about the rest of the movie, and uh, Jenna Ortega, um, who is Laureen in the movie, is one of the like production crew with her boyfriend, um, who is R.J., and they're, they're just there to record. They're making the movie. And she basically is a sound person. So she's holding the sound bar over them or whatnot. She is starting to basically like get really like interested in what they're doing. And it, you can clearly tell in a lot of the scenes that they're filming that she's getting turned on by this or whatnot. And she's like, I want to be part of this movie. I want to do this. And this is where this movie just. Goes downhill from here with like the craziness of what happens to them. Is she basically her, her boyfriend RJ is like, Absolutely not. You're not doing this. I'm not okay with this. And she's like, Why? 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 And going off, and she's like, Oh, I can't do this. So they go in and she records the scene or they start to record it. And Jenna Ortega is a, if you're not familiar who Jenna Ortega is, um, she also played in Scream as the little sister um, that essentially opened up the movie for the like old school scene of um, how Drew Barrymore's scene in the original Scream was. She is in that. She also plays a, a younger sister in um, the series You on Netflix. I think it was a Lifetime series before that um, about Joe Goldberg and he's like a serial killer and stuff like that. She's a younger sister, I believe, in season two of the show. Um, so she's always kind of been portrayed as like a kid, and she—I mean, she's 19 years old. So I, I knew going into this movie, there's no way she was going to be part of what the the actual movie was about, about them filming pornography. Because, and keep in mind, if you're listening to this, you have kids. This is not a, a safe movie to watch kids around or anything. There is a lot of sex and nudity in it. Um, so it's like, that's kind of weird. There's no way she's going to do that type of scene that quick into her career. Usually you don't have that. Maybe back in the 80s, but even when, like, some of the horror movies back in the 80s, you never had Jamie Lee Curtis, um, like, be topless or nude in a movie and things like that. So... I, I kind of figured that was not going to happen here, and it didn't. Um, they basically just showed her in her underwear and bra, or whatnot, and getting ready for this scene. And then, of course, it's like later in the night, and RJ gets up from sleeping in bed with, um, with Laureen, and he's pissed. Of course, he's taking a shower. He's mad. He gets out, he's like, I'm leaving, I'm done with this place, I'm not filming this anymore. So he goes to the, goes out, goes across the the little farm area to next to the house where they parked the van. He gets his keys, he gets in, and he's he blasts his music and he's ready to go and he starts driving. And when he drives, the old lady is just standing there. And it freaks him out. He's like, what the hell? I mean, it's, like, probably 1, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. And he's, like, honking his horn. lady doesn't move. He's like, what the hell is this lady doing? He gets out. And she starts, like, I don't know if it's, like, coming on to him and then trying to, like, make out with him. But then she, like, quickly stabs him in the throat and just goes to town and is like I saw what you guys are doing in the in the barn and she brutally brutally kills him and there's there's definitely not barely I I don't know, even know if there's any CGI in this movie but it was gory as can be the kill scene with that was pretty crazy and then the rest of the movie basically we see. Every single other character kind of go down and are killed by these this old couple. Old couple basically teams up and starts taking out one cast member by another. The older guy uses the excuse that his wife has disappeared, and they need she he needs help uh, from uh, uh, Jackson Kid Cudi's uh, character. And then he gets killed. There's a few scenes where um, essentially Alligator eats one of the cast members or whatnot. And then in the end, um, basically again, spoiler alert, this is the ending of the movie. Um, We kind of see where Maxine, who is the main character, finally ends up killing both the, the woman and her husband gets the keys to the truck of the the old guy and leaves um and during the movie I'll kind of point this out during the movie there's like this like commercial type thing playing on TVs throughout the movie so the first scene we see it in is at the gas station where the the clerk is watching some like it's almost like a church um ceremony or whatnot where there's a pastor talking about the the devil and all this type of stuff and in the end or after well I guess let me rewind so when we open up the movie where the sheriff deputy is looking at this crime scene there is the same video playing on the TV um, and this this pastor's going off about uh, how dare these people, these people are disgusting human beings, they are the Devil worshippers, blah 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 blah. Then we see that clip again in the gas station after they leave. the The gas station attendants watching it on the TV that's on the the counter. Same thing. Well, in the ending, when Maxine is trying to escape their house and like shoot them and get out, um, the she gets out and starts driving away, and you can hear that blasting. Well, that same thing is blasting again while we go back once she drives off she gets away it then goes back to the sheriff deputies like kind of going over everything and what we saw at the first part of the movie but then the final clip is of this church video and the the pastor's like my daughter was taken by the devil and she is going to make adult pornography or something to that extent. And he, like, has this, like, cardboard cutout picture on a, a stand that he takes, like, the, the covering off of it and then shows, this is my daughter and she was taken by the devil and she's a stripper and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, it's Maxine in this, like, video So it kind of comes full circle. Um, it's kind of weird, but the movie itself, I I thought the kill scenes were just insanely crazy. Some of the stabbing, some of the, the ways that it was done was just gruesome, but it was good. Um, I, I think this is obviously a low budget film, uh, per se. Uh, it's in my opinion, it did what it needed to do. It was good to me. Um, IMDb rating was a 7.4 out of 10. Um, and its popularity was a 6 out of 20, I think that is. Um, or 6% or whatnot. So, I mean, it's high up there. It shows it's in the green for proper popularity. But a lot of people, I've seen comments that they kind of trash this movie. It works for a slasher film. It works for what it needs to be. Um, I essentially liked it. I thought it worked very well. I really like uh, Jenna Ortega. She has become like quite a... Looks like she has a great career in like the horror movie industry. Along with like playing on TV shows. Which I, I believe that's where she essentially got her start from. Let's look at her IMDB profile real quick. Um... Yeah, so Jen, Jenna Ortega was born on September 27, 2002 in California. She began acting at the age of nine as portrayed the role of of Harley, a creative engineering prodigy navigating life as a middle child in a family of seven children in Stuck in the Middle, a, a Disney uh, Channel series. So I wonder if she did a lot of Disney series movies. That could be the case. But she is known for Scream. Um, the babysitter killer Queens or killer queen movie. I've not seen that. She plays in that. That's from 2020. Um, she plays a character in Elena of, uh, Avia Avalar, um, on Disney plus. And she was also the vice president's daughter in 2013 on, in Iron Man three. I don't know if I've really seen Iron Man three all the way through, but, that's pretty interesting um but she is essentially she has quite the bit of actually like what she's been in um she was in um, TV series Rob CSI New York Iron Man 3 she's appeared in days of our lives uh, soap opera Indius chapter 2 uh, the Little Rascals Save the Day. I didn't even know there was a different Little Rascals movie that came out in 2014. Uh, quite a bit of TV movies she did. And then, of course, there was Stuck in the Middle TV series. Uh, there's the movie, a short movie called Girl Code. Uh, she was in Jane the Virgin TV series. You, of course, like I was talking about. Um. She was in a whole movie, The Princess Bride, a TV miniseries short as Princess Buttercup. And then she was in The Babysitter, Killer Queen. I'll have to see about that movie. I've heard that was actually a decent movie. Um, And then she's played some voiceover acting in Jurassic World, Camp uh, Cretaceous. She's been in Scream, uh, Big City Greens TV series. She was in uh, Studio 666, which actually just came out, and it's about the Foo Fighters being trapped in, like, a horror uh, horror house while they're trying to record an album. Um, it's kind of weird, like, or haunted house, whatever. And then she is currently in production in a TV series called, or post-production called Wednesday, um, which is directed by... Tim Burton, um Wednesday. Oh, this is the uh uh spin off to the Adams family, I believe, um, called Wednesday. She is actually playing Wednesday in this along with uh zeta Zetta Jones, Christina Ritchie, Luis Guzman. Oh, th- this this may be pretty awesome if she's playing Wednesday in this uh, Netflix series that'll be pretty awesome to see. So, I, I I do feel she is an upcoming star that everyone should look out for. I really hope she does a lot more like slasher slash horror movies, um, because her roles in Scream and in this one are excellent, and um, she has potential of becoming quite the horror film movie genre star. Um, kind of like Jamie Lee Curtis did, Nev Campbell. Um, there's a lot to name that she could be part of one of those if that's the route she's going, um, which is awesome. So highly – I would not say you need to go see the X movie in theaters, um, but I would highly recommend when it comes out. Definitely check this movie out. I, I again, I, I think it was a great movie that um, – it does its part. I'll watch it again when it comes out. I'll probably buy it um, just because it's a slasher film, and it's good. It's not something I would say is a one-and-done, never watching again. Um, but let's talk about the previews that were before this movie for for A24 films. I thought they were pretty interesting of what they are essentially making. Uh, the... Movies that um were showing essentially before this movie um was was the movie Men releasing on May twentieth of this year, twenty twenty two, starring Jesse Buckley, Rory Kenler, and Papa or Papilla S I'm totally butchering that name. Um but the the Description of it is in an aftermath of personal tragedy. Harper Jesse Buckley retreats alone to the beautiful English countryside, hoping to fa- have found a place to heal. But someone or something from the surrounding woods appears to be stalking her. What begins as simmering dread becomes a full, f- fully formed nightmare inhabited by her darkest memories and fears. In visionary filmmaker Alex Garland's. Uh, feverish shape-shifting new horror film. This movie looks very weird. Um I I would highly recommend watching the trailer. Um it's something I I had never seen prior to um essentially this trailer seeing it and it was completely the most bizarre thing ever but highly recommend it. Um it looked really good. Check out the the trailer for this one. And, and yeah, it, it looks like another good horror movie. The other A24 film that they previewed, which seemed kind of, like, interesting and weird all at the same time, was called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, this movie, essentially, is directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Sharnart. Uh, collectively known as The Daniels. The film is a hilarious and big-hearted sci-fi action-adventure about an exhausted Chinese-American woman, Michelle Yeoh, again, butchering names left and right, who can't seem to finish her taxes. And, like, it kind of, like, basically makes fun of the multiverse and how... How essentially like everything, everywhere is happening all at once. And she just like is seeing all these different dimensions of if she was working in this line of things, was working in this line of things. The poster itself is freaking awesome. Um, again, check this out on A24films.com slash films slash everything dash everywhere dash all Dash at Dash once. I'll put the link in the uh, description of the episode um, but kind of check this out and check the preview out. It's 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 a very interesting like, like it says a big-hearted sci-fi action adventure and really like portrays and gives this uh, Chinese American woman like the star role in this movie. That looks great. And also in this movie is starring Jamie Lee Curtis. We're just talking about her with Halloween. Uh, Jenny Slate. Harry Shum Jr. James Hong. uh, Ki Hai Kwan. I believe is how you pronounce it. Stephanie uh, Hugh or Hush. I believe is how you pronounce it. This movie looks really good. And these were two movies that were nowhere on radar for me. Um, I didn't even know they existed until I saw the previews uh, during X. So check those out because I will definitely be putting those on my calendar and potentially going and seeing them because they are very unique movies. And we'll see where those go. So this has been the entertainment segment. Your review of the movie X. Uh, that just came out last Thursday by A24 Studios, uh, basically starring Kid Cudi, Jenna Ortega, and many more um, in a low-budget slasher film. Check it out; it's great. I like it. Check the the preview out if you haven't seen it already. Um, I assume this movie will be streaming if not out on Blu-ray pretty quick. It seems like the turnaround is about 45 days now uh, for stuff to come out, so check those out. Appreciate everyone listening to this portion of the podcast. It is time for the main event. It is time for my WrestleMania 21 travel story. This is the only other WrestleMania I have been to, which is WrestleMania 21. We are heading in... Just about a week and a half into WrestleMania season, or not season, but actual WrestleMania itself. So, let's get this WrestleMania 21 travel story. And I do have, I believe, another blog that I wrote for this one in 2005. And we'll get into that and then uh, close the episode up with some housekeeping tips and what were not tips, (laughs) not housekeeping tips housekeeping things for the podcast Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right on in to Wrestlemania 21 travel series story Los Angeles California 2005 alright so from my journal that I wrote on May 13th 2005 this was just about a month and a half from Wrestlemania 21 And here we go. So, the entry writes, well, meaning I have some free time in class on this eve of the last week of school, at least at Harrison High School, I have some time to write my WrestleMania 21 journal entry. I probably wrote this in my, like, computer class because we were bored in the last couple weeks, so live journal was a big thing back then, but... um, I didn't expect this to be as big as last year's because uh, there's not much there to write. Trust me, TNA anniversary will be bigger of an entry, of course. That'll be a different uh, episode on the Grand Slam podcast about the TNA anniversary That may be actually covering a little bit of uh, information with Jock uh, when he uh, is on the episode. But let's go ahead. Let's uh, get this... Uh, journal under the way so Saturday April 2nd 2005 at 3 a.m. a friend of mine that I worked with at target named David uh, came to my house to pick me up to go to Denver Uh, we take off and head up to the famous I-25 heading north towards Denver to go to DIA airport takes about 45 minutes to get there so we arrive around 4 a.m. and David decides to drop me off which is great so I go in and find United Airlines and figured, wow, there's a lot of people in line for this early morning flight. But whatever, hopefully it'll hurry up. Pull out the PSP. I did not even remember having a PlayStation uh, portable, but start to play it. And when the move line starts to move, I was like, dang, I just started to playing, And now we move only figures. So anyway, I get done, get my ticket, and head toward the gate. Saturday, April 2nd, 2005, 6.13 a.m. Attention, United Airlines passengers. We will now be boarding from Denver, Colorado, to Los Angeles, California. Get on the plane, sit down, and start to relax. Soon enough, I fall asleep and wake up in the air. After a long plane ride, it is 8.23 a.m. Pacific time, and the flight lands safely in L.A. Get off the plane and can breathe so much easier, meaning there is no altitude here. And we're at sea level. I call home to inform that I'm in L.A. and going to the hotel after I get my baggage. Saturday, April 2nd, 2005, 9 a.m. Pacific time. I get checked into the Renaissance uh, Hotel and get checked into the f- my first hotel I've ever stayed in alone. Come to find out, it is an awesome room and a huge king-size bed call home once again, and then call around to people at home to say I've arrived in L.A. just fine. Well, then I get settled in and have to get ready to catch a bus towards Clover City, which is where the Toys R Us is, and that's where Chris Jericho was signing autographs. After a long ride into Clover City, I arrive at the Toys R Us only to find out they have sold out of tickets for autographs earlier in the day. Um, If you remember from... And this is actually it the uh, blog, which is kind of funny because if you remember from my WrestleMania 20 uh, podcast, I talked about how that happened with Booker T and Rob Van Dam at the New York uh, Toys R Us back in 2004. So kind of interesting it happened here. Um, but anyways, I head down the road to find a target um, that is massive. It has two levels to it. And I'm... Glad at this point that the target I work for does not have two levels. Anyways, I get some figures, head back to the bus stop, and go to the hotel because I got to get ready for Universal Studios uh, for WWE Hall of Fame 2005. I get back to the hotel around noonish, and decide that I'm going to lay down, meaning I don't have to leave till 3. I take a quick nap, wake up, go to the bus stop, and discover I forgot my ticket. So I ran back up, saw the bus drive away as I was grabbing my ticket, very big mistake and had to wait another forty five minutes for the next bus to to get there. Saturday, April second, two thousand five, five thirty PM. As the sub as the subway is going, I hear someone ask me if I apologize, I've got my like stuffy nose all of a sudden. I think it's all this wind that's happening outside and dust and ickiness. Um but I hear someone ask me if I was going to the WWE Hall of Fame, meaning I had a WWE t-shirt on i respond with yes why well you needed to switch subways back there to go to universal i was i scream out damn it so i had to wait for it to turn around then go back towards the stop i need to switch at at this point the hall of fame started and i was still on the stupid subway uh this one name this one guy named chris was standing there talking to me about hulk hogan and everything uh thank God i started talking to this guy because he basically did was going to the same place and, and didn't switch trains, and he knew exactly where the Hall of Fame was, and got because the directions on the map I had was confusing. Man, talk about uh, 2005 not having like cell phones with maps on them and having to actually use a real map. Ugh, dear God. Um, we ended up having to walk up a hill that was very steep, yet no sidewalk, just road. So you got to. You had to walk in traffic, which, in my opinion, was stupid back then. I, I would still agree to this day. I'm Sure, that's probably changed by now. Um, Saturday, April second, two thousand five, seven twenty-nine p.m. Pacific time. Hulk Hogan is announced and comes out to a standing ovation. This is one of the big, one big thing that brought chills to my back and a tear to my eye. The uh, observation lasted for over fourteen minutes and was the most amazing thing ever. The Hall of Fame was awesome show, and it got over around 8 p.m., so I then left to get back to the train and ended up finding out that I could only take the subway back to LAX and take the shuttle back to the hotel. Um, I assume I got to the Hall of Fame in some decent time. I Obviously, I wrote in this that at 7.30 was when Hulk Hogan came out for the final inductee. I think I missed about probably a quarter of that because of the issues with missing a subway um but i ended up going back to the hotel taking basically going to sleep that night and then saturday or no saturday april uh 2nd 2005 i arrived back at the hotel and uh, ran over to the burger king to get some food um ends up being the only place i ate next to the staples center and jack-in-the-box I get back up to the hotel and call Chris up in Ohio. We talked for a good hour about rumors going on about WrestleMania and the next day and then, of course, the Hall of Fame. Now, of course, this is where the vlog or blog stops. Um, I do not believe I wrote another one about WrestleMania itself, but I do remember getting up that next morning. I got back on a um, bus and went down to L.A. or whatnot, downtown L.A., and went to the Target again, got some uh, disposable cameras and stuff. I think I got a few others, looked at figures again, and then ended up uh, heading to the Staples Center. I remember getting to the Staples Center and having to cross some train tracks. Took a photo in front of the Staples Center. Um, I'll have to post some of these things that I'm pretty sure I have in my box of photos or whatnot. But WrestleMania 21... Was another great event. Um, it was action packed. Um, you can look up the results. I'm not going to go over those. Um, but it was just a mind blowing experience. I believe I did go back the following day um, on Monday to uh, back to Colorado or home or whatnot because I don't think Raw was anywhere close to where I was able to go to it. Um, plus, I did have school. I was still in school back then in two thousand five. Um heading into my what was kind of my junior senior year. I did not have an official senior year uh, due to some credit issues um with being shy of credit to graduate. So um but yeah, overall the WrestleMania trip it was it was a interesting experience because being alone for the first time at the age of I would have been 17, 18. I probably would just turn 18, if I'm not mistaken, in 2005. Pretty sure. Um, let's actually take a look at that. Hold on one second. Uh, let's see. 2005, subtract, 1987. I was 18. So I had just turned 18. Uh, I was still living at home. This is before in 2006 of moving to Florida in the biggest bungle of moving ever. That'll be another story for another podcast or another episode per se. Um, Because it does relate to a travel uh, series uh, with TNA Wrestling Lockdown 2006. Um, But I'll talk about that on another episode. But this was my first, like I said, main Travel that I did alone, never went with anyone, stayed in my first hotel as what was at that point, my first time being an adult at 18, Um by like a week, actually not even a week, I think like five days after my birthday, I went to WrestleMania 21. So, yeah, it's, it's getting close to that time again. Uh, my birthday is next Tuesday, or this upcoming Tuesday on the 29th. WrestleMania is that weekend, so it's almost the same scenario. And actually, um, WrestleMania will be back in L.A., not at the Staples Center, a.k.a. the Cryptocurrency Arena or whatever the heck it's called now. Um, It'll be at the uh, place the Super Bowl was this year, uh, the L.A. Rams slash Chargers Stadium, SoFi Stadium, next year. So maybe plan on going to it. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. See where we're at in a year. Um, and if we need some good old content for some sports traveling vlogs or not. Um, it's kind of hard to make ways with WWE anymore because I'm not really a fan. that's why I have chose to go to aw Nothing in Las Vegas over Memorial Day weekend with my wife. Um, it'll be her official first time being an adult in Las Vegas or being over 21. It'll be fun. Uh, But, yeah, I just remember this trip being pretty, kind of scary. Um, First time being away from home, having no resources at all, and having to find my way to the Staples Center, to Universal Studios for the Hall of Fame, staying at my first hotel. Lucky enough, it was right next to LAX, so it was a really nice hotel. Um, But, yeah, this this was quite the overall experience that I had of dealing with L.A. being alone and whatnot. But the WrestleMania 21, if you haven't seen it or looked at the card, definitely check it out. It was a really good uh, pay-per-view, essentially. And it's just another one for the memory books. I wish I would have gone with people and experienced it, um, but it, it is what it was. I know my friends from... Uh, Luis and Floyd that went to 20 were not able to go to 21, so I was like, I- I'm going, I'm definitely going, so I did, and definitely got to see my childhood hero that I grew up liking to know, end, Hulk Hogan get inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, along with the late and great Rowdy Rowdy Piper, um, there's quite a bit of different other names in there, I not quite sure. I still have a t shirt from that Hall of Fame that is still in prestige condition after nearly almost 20 years now. So it's pretty cool. Uh, but that has been, it's not as in depth as my WrestleMania 20 story because there were so much adventures with WrestleMania 20 and going to New York City. Um, but I thought I'd give this. Uh, at least story, some light of going to WrestleMania 21 in Los Angeles, California for my first time traveling alone and just my experience with it. I thought it was great. I, I think the uh, that was my second time, I think maybe first time riding a subway underground compared to New York City the previous year. And just getting lost um, and having to deal with those struggles of using a paper map that you just don't use anymore. I mean, you have your app, you have your phone that you can pull up any subway system, any like train system, wherever you are, whether it's in Denver, LA, New York, wherever you are, and you can pull those up. So it was an experience. Um, Obviously, the... Future episodes of my travel series will have more in-depth stuff. This was just one that was a quick turnaround. I, I didn't do much because it, the hotel I stayed at was way far away from downtown L.A. Downtown L.A. by the Staples Center when I went to it was not the best area of town in L.A. Um, from my understanding compared to what it is now. um, So... There's a lot of stories, like I said, will be coming up on the Grand Slam podcast. I can't wait to have Jock on this show and to co host, um, to be on the Boundless Gamers podcast as well. Those are coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for those. Um, and then we start really kicking in the gear for USFL, the vlog, and things like that. And this is that's a great segue into the last and final closing of this episode we are going on an hour and 35 minutes close to it right now um so let's transition and um go into the final closing segment which is some housekeeping uh rules and stuff coming up for the grand slam podcast I've talked about it in last week's double episode, uh, my rant about burnout and stuff like that, that I am wanting to grow this channel. I want this to be more of a sports podcast covering USFL, these these basically not the major leagues of these sports, whether it be football with the XFL, USFL, whether it be baseball with the Pioneer League, whether it be pro wrestling. AEW whatever the case may be Ring of Honor now that it's bought by AEW Impact Wrestling these are not like I would almost consider the WWE the major league of of wrestling where then AEW is kind of the second it's almost close to being up there with it. WWE just not as much as in revenue and stuff like that but they definitely have the wrestlers and stuff so this is my journey and where. The Grand Slam podcast will essentially go, uh, the next couple of weeks, next week, I believe I should have another travel story up and that would be the, I believe the Elimination Chamber, um, pay-per-view for 2019 or no, 2018, which would have been, yeah, the two years prior to the pandemic starting, um, Went to Las Vegas with a friend of mine um, who I don't really talk to much anymore. Um, but there will be that travel story with the Elimination Chamber. That was my first time back in Las Vegas as a an adult or 21-year-old. 20, um, first time being able to gamble in Las Vegas. And just my overall experience with... The connection to Las Vegas that I have to my grandmother um, and my aunt and uncle who still live here today, obviously my grandma, um, as I've mentioned in the past, uh, passed away back in 2002, so this will be the 20th anniversary of her passing away this year. So, um, But there, there's a lot of stories with Las Vegas, my connection to it, my love for Las Vegas, um, how much I really want to live there, but I don't think it'll ever happen. Um, there's just a lot to do there, and I understand when you live there, it gets boring quick, um, but it, it's a it's a fun city um, and somewhere that is definitely... I have nowhere come close to exploring Las Vegas like I want to. Um, it, it would take a while, and I, I think that it would take multiple trips to really plan out stuff because I feel like the... the When we went to Elimination Chamber, we were there for a while. Um, I I think to cut down on cost, we went a couple days early. And just being there for that long is tiring. It's expensive because of food on the the strip, things like that. So there's a lot of stories with that. Um, I will be doing that episode next week. And then I believe the first... Official week of April uh, will be the crossover between the Grand Slam podcast and Boundless Gamers podcast uh, with Jock co-hosting with me, talking about our wrestling travel uh, stories. There's multiple ones, so I don't know. I'll talk to him about it, of how we want to do it, um, if it's going to be multiple stories all combined into one. Or if we're doing multiple episodes and just recording them all at once and then I'll piece them together. Um, we'll see um, how that works out. More coming on that soon. And then, of course, the official vlog series. I don't know what I'm entitling it. I don't know if it's part of the Graham Slam podcast directly. Um, but the sports vlog will start the weekend of April 16th, um, which is Easter weekend. When me and my daughter traveled to Birmingham, Alabama for the USFL inaugural weekend kickoff. And just overall, like I've said, if you haven't already, like, share, subscribe to my podcast. Uh, rate it on Apple Podcast 5 Stars. And really share it with friends and family that like sports. Because this is where my podcast is going. And I really want to share... This experience of these leagues that, yeah, there's podcasts out there for them, but there's not the basically personal connection that I've had to them where a lot are just reporting news. I can report the news as well, which I do, Um, but being firsthand, getting to travel to these um, cities, these states, these games, these events for this is going to be a magnificent thing to cover it has been so far and i think just overall with a vlog series it's going to bring more to the table um essentially record and then just have a overall vlog for um the rocky mountain vibes this uh upcoming season as well Uh, I will report, as in previous episodes, I've had issues with getting season tickets. I still, to this day, have not heard back from the Vibes organization about my season tickets, renewing them. But, surprisingly enough, to my surprise, this past, I want to say Monday night, or maybe Sunday night, it may have been Sunday night, Magically, on TicketReturn.com, which is the ticket place that the Vibes had their season tickets through last year, they were all digital because of COVID, they have the tickets up on their website for season tickets. I signed into my account, and sure enough, there were my season tickets waiting to be paid for. Um, So I did go ahead. I put my down payment down. Final payment's due next month. And guess what? It's time for the Grand Slam podcast to return to its roots, to where the Pioneer League has presented the Rocky Mountain Vibes, and we are getting underway for a quick turnaround in just two months until the first pitch of the Rocky Mountain Vibes welcoming the Glacier Range Riders into Color Springs, into the Pioneer League, right here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So look forward to that. And again, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the handles at Grand Slam Podcast or The Grand Slam Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to this longer episode. Uh, we were just over an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, so thank you. Thank you again for everything. And I look forward to continuing this journey next week. Have a great one, everyone. Have a great day. Great rest of your week or great night. Whenever, however you're listening to this podcast, thank you so much for coming back week after week and enjoying episode 30 of the Gram Slam podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Anderson. We'll See you back here next week. Thank you, everyone. And he lifts one. To a left field, it is deep, it is high, and it is gone! A walk-off home run for Joe Gray Jr.